0: Good morning, everyone. Today is Thursday, February 18th, and we are coming to you live from the sweatpants capital of America in the Dallas, Texas area, where we have had crazy snow and cold weather for uh, five or six days now, and basically everything is shut down. Uh, but it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you live. Um, and hope you all are doing well. Hope you all are staying safe and warm wherever you may be. And today we are going to study Romans chapter 3. We have studied Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 last week on the Grace Abides podcast. And today we are looking at chapter 3. So uh, Romans chapter 3, one of the one of the best chapters in the Bible as far as, in my opinion, uh, Romans one of the best books of the Bible, but I uh, love this chapter and look forward to going through it with you. So thanks for joining me. Okay, so let's start Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. For in the first place, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And then I'm going to add verse 4. Paul writes, Although everyone is a liar, let God be proved true, as it is written, so that you may be justified in your words and prevail in your judging, so what does that all mean? Okay, basically in Romans chapter two, God says the or, or Paul says there is no partiality with God, so God has no favorites, and so for the Jewish people they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, we've always been God's favorite people, we've always been God's chosen people. What do you mean God has no favorites? So Paul makes this big case, you know, case that uh, it doesn't matter if you are circumcised or not, it doesn't matter if you are Jewish or not, God loves you and so uh so then people are what what does it mean what's why is it important to be jewish and what what advantage do the jewish people have and paul says oh a, a big one they were entrusted with the oracles of god god's written revelation before the time of jesus was entrusted to the jewish people god gave the jewish people the word and that is an incredible gift later in uh chapter, Romans chapter nine, Paul goes on to say that, that Israel not only had the word, they had the covenants, the giving of the law, they had God with them. They had the promises of God. And so they had, uh, you know, all these wonderful advantages that no one else had. And so to be a Jewish person was a big deal. It was a big deal. And then verse four, although everyone is a liar, let God be proven true. Uh, it, it's a very important, very important distinction that Paul is making to say, if every person in the world said one thing, And God says another, well, God is true and everyone else is wrong. So we are to believe what God says over anyone else, no matter what. The general consensus of humanity does not matter if it's opposite of what God says. So as Christians, we believe what God says uh, more than the opinion of humanity, which is why... Having the word of God is so important. And so for the Jewish people to be given the word of God, it's a huge advantage. It's a huge deal. It's a huge thing. And so to have the Bible, it's a huge thing. It's a big deal that we have the Bible. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Scriptures. We know what God says to be true. And so when we see humanity talking in falsehoods, because it does, because we do, although everyone is a liar, Paul says, God is true. God is true, and so we can trust in what God says. Having God's word very important. Verses 10 through 12. Now Paul's going to Paul's going to hammer us here. Get ready for it. Verses 10 through 12. Now the first two chapters of Romans, Paul's already hammered us. He's going to hammer us again. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding understanding there is no one who seeks God all have turned aside together they have become worthless there is no one who shows kindness there is not even one there is no one who is righteous there is no one who seeks God there is no one who seeks kindness not even one (laughs) thanks Paul so what Paul's saying is that when God looks for righteous, God doesn't find anyone. Not because they're hiding, not because God can't see them, not because, you know, there's too many of us, and it's like, oh, where's Waldo? Where's the righteous? No, it's, there is no one. There is no one to be found who is righteous apart from Jesus. Uh, and so we deceive ourselves into thinking that any of us can be righteous, that any of us actually can seek after God, can seek after God's will without God doing it for us. Now, the argument has always been that, well, uh, there really is no God, right? It's just humanity throughout all of history has decided there has to be something better. There has to be something else, and so then humanity creates God, right? There is this desire for there to be a God, and so humanity creates God. And so doesn't that really tell us that, you know, we can seek after God, you know, because Paul says there is no one who can seek after God. Um, See, the thing is, though, is if humanity were going to seek after God, they want there to be a God. They wouldn't find the God of the Bible. They wouldn't find Jesus. Instead, they would make an idol, an idol that says what they want God to say, that does what they want God to do. If we think about it, Why would we follow the God of the Bible? If we were creating our own God, why would we follow that God? Why would we follow Jesus who tells us to pick up your cross and follow me, to give your money to the poor? Why would we follow a God who tells us to do things we don't want to do? Why would we follow a God who tells us things that we don't want to hear? Why would we follow a God who says, No one is righteous, not one of you. None of you are able to do anything good. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. I mean, why would we follow a God who continually tells us how undeserving and unworthy we are unless that was true, right? It's a God who tells us things we don't want to hear. God isn't the one who says all the things we want to hear. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, don't worry about it. You can... Um, anyway, I mean, that that's gospel without law. I mean, okay. So then, verses 19 through 20. Paul summarizes. Okay. Verses 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So basically Paul summarizes by pointing out the universal guilt of humankind, that all of humanity, that all the world is guilty before God. Right? The law can't save us. The law can't justify us. It only helps us understand our sins and cannot save us. So, if you get to this point and if you stop reading here, you're like, well, this isn't fair. I mean, no one can be saved. No one is righteous. No one is kind. No one can seek after God. You know, it's we're all in trouble. What are we going to do? Verse 21 through 23. Verse 21, two words, two simple words, six letters. Most beautiful transitions in all of Scripture. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, and it it is a test by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now, these two words, beautiful transition a beautiful beautiful words of hope beautiful words of change beautiful words of justification right of salvation the law cannot save us we are all guilty none of us are worthy of salvation but god reveals a righteousness that will save us apart from the law Apart from the law, this is the essence of God's plan for salvation in Jesus Christ. It is salvation apart from the law, apart from our own e- earning and deserving, apart from our own merits, apart from all of that, and it's a gift, and it's not a gift that is intended to supplement. Right, basically saying that you know you you you're your own it through your own actions. Right, you, you can get 30% of the way there. And so this law, this righteousness, this grace will fill in the other 70%. Or that you can get 70% of the way there and this righteousness fills in the other 30, right? It's, it's the law and then a little bit of God's righteousness. So no, that's not what that, this is God's righteousness that takes over, right? That does it all that we are not reliant on anything that we can say or do. It is 100% God's righteousness, God's gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to obtain this righteousness. It's not earned through obedience. It's gained through faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. It's impossible to describe every way we fall short, but easy to describe how we are saved. By God's grace. By God's grace. Just as Patty said just now in our comments. By his grace alone. By his grace alone. That's all there is. That's all we need. It's not his grace and something else. It's his grace, period. Period. So the verses 24 through 25. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. Wow, okay, there's a lot to unpack in those in those two verses that are really half of one sentence. A lot to unpack. Whew, okay, here we go. Paul uses three atonement images to make the point so that those who read or hear can understand, to help them understand. So first, they are now justified by his grace. Justification. It's the image of a court of law, right? Um, and, and justification is basically a verdict that says not guilty. You are, just, you are not guilty. That's what justification is, basically. And so God demonstrated this righteousness by offering humanity a not guilty verdict, even though, even though we humans are guilty. So justification... It's in courtroom stuff. Second half of verse 24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, redemption is like buying back something or uh, changing, exchanging one thing for another, right? Uh, If you. If you get a, a lot of scratch lottery ticket, right? And you scratch it and it's like, you know, star, 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 whatever. I, don't even, I haven't done a scratch lottery ticket in like 20 years, but whatever it may be. And then like you, you win and you roll to redeem this. Basically you go and exchange that for money, right? You exchange this one thing for another thing. So redemption is the idea of exchanging one thing for another thing. So When this word was used back 2,000 years ago, it, it comes from this original idea of releasing prisoners, prisoners who might have been taken prisoner in war. And so at the end of a war or during the war, whatever, one side comes to the other side and says, we will give you a thousand pieces of gold and you give us back some of our soldiers. So that redemption, right? I'm giving you one thing and you're giving me back another thing. Uh, This is probably most understood now is like kidnapping, right? Uh, You know, you pay the ransom and you can get this thing back. You can get my child back. You can get somebody else back, right? Uh, So, you know, that's, so basically what this is saying is that you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus, verse, you know, going back to verse twenty-four, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, going verse 20, by His blood. Uh, so G, when Jesus died, Jesus paid something and uh, exchanged something. The payment was exchanged for you. So you have been free from the guilt of your. Um, And not from your guilt, but from the punishment that comes from your guilt. Okay. Third, says that, um, verse 25, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement. So sacrificial atonement is an image uh, from religious sacrifice, right? This has been... Throughout all of history, human beings and all different religions have been doing this—this uh, this idea of sacrifice—that I'm going to, we're going to make a sacrifice to appease God, uh, and so we are going to kill something, and through the shedding of this blood, that God is going to be appeased, and God will not punish us, or God will reward us, that kind of thing. So, Jesus is a substitute sacrifice for us. Jesus, the the shedding of his blood. Uh, appeases god to the point where we no longer have to be punished for our guilt punished for our sins uh now there's a this leads to all kinds of issues right it's like why does god need his own son to die to be appeased i mean like god says "Hmm, I, i really need to appease but the only way for me to be appeased is to appease myself by sending my son who is like me is me through trinity and so um that's the only way I'm going to hold back my wrath on humanity. Eh. eh. I mean, you know, so, 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 you know, you go down a, a you know, the, the thought process on each of these can take you to a place where it says, well, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But what we have here is three images that helps us to understand what God has done for us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay. And so if we push an image too far, we might get to a point where it doesn't make sense for us. It's not Use the image for what it is. The God helping us to understand what Jesus has done for us. Let that image stand for what it is. And if it gets to a point where it doesn't make sense, put the image aside and go to a different one. Put the image aside and go to a different one. So You know, which of these three images most helps you understand what God has done for you? Lean on that one. Use that one to help explain, to help understand what it means that Christ died for us, that Christ died to save us, that Christ has taken our place, and that we are no longer punished for our sins, for our guilt. Verse 27, Paul finishes by saying, then what becomes of boasting? It is included. Uh, sorry, it is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. Because we are justified freely by God's grace, there's no room for self-congratulations. There's no room to say, "Look at how good of a person I am. I have deserved, I have earned God's favor. I have earned God's blessings." There's no room to say that because everything we have, everything God's give, God gives is a gift given by and through God's grace. Romans chapter three. Such a beautiful scripture. One that, you know, if if you're only gonna study one chapter, this is such an important chapter. And and for me it all hinges on the it all pivots on the but now. But now. Once you were this, but now you are this. Once you were a sinner, but now you are righteous. Once you were unloved, but now you are loved. Once you were imperfect, but now you are a beloved child of God. But now, I love that. Just, but now. That's all we need is that but now. I mean, that's it changes everything. So, we'll close with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins. For even though we are imperfect, for saving us and seeing us as righteous. Uh, we pray for your children today all over the world, those who are battling disease, those who are battling uh, weather, uh, those who are cold, those who are hungry, those who are homeless, uh, those who need to feel the warmth of your love. Uh, we pray that you would be with all those who need you and that you would help us, those who uh, are safe and those who are warm and those who have an abundance. Help us to see how we can help others. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay warm, stay safe, and we will see you soon.